Alright, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is May 23rd, 2023, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, speaking via phone with Billy Bro, who is located in Indianapolis, Indiana as well, is that correct? Yes. And we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? I was actually born in the state of West Virginia. Oh, okay. In, in 1936, June. Okay, interesting. And um, what were your parents' names? My father was Otha, O-T-H-A, and my mother was Pearl, P-E-A-R-L. And when did your family first get to Indiana? My family never came to Indiana. I... I I came to Indiana after I graduated from college with my then-husband, Dominic Bro, and I've been here ever since. Okay. And uh, so why did you guys come to Indiana then? Well, actually, I came here for a job. I was to be the secretary in the first interracial law firm in Indianapolis, Richardson Lewis Jose and Allen. Henry Richardson Jr. was an attorney. He was also a former state legislator, and he was very instrumental in civil rights and getting the Urban League established here in Indianapolis. He brought me to this city. Wow, okay, that's cool. Jeez. (laughs) Um, And uh, what were your parents' occupations? My father was a coal miner. And my mother was a housewife. Okay. Uh, do you have any siblings? I had five sisters and two brothers, all very accomplished people. My brother, Osa, graduated, got his master's degree from Pittsburgh University. And he was uh, one of the first African Americans to be a meteorologist in, uh, for the government in D.C. Wow, that's cool. And I remember when he was appointed, they sent people out and they were interviewing everybody in the neighborhood because he had scored so high on a test, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, all of my brothers and sisters went or graduates from college, except for my younger brother who had Down syndrome. And all of our children have graduated from college, it's at least one, mostly two. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, How would you describe your childhood? Well, carefree, and I had a few problems of any kind. You know, I was one of the younger siblings, so I wasn't having, you know, a lot of problems at all. And uh, I just remember being a good childhood. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, who would you say were the most influential people in your childhood? Other than my parents, uh, probably my teacher. I remember Miss Charlotte Wade was one of my teachers at that time. They had that two-room schools, you know, two teachers in it. And they were my heroes, I guess. Yeah, okay. Um, what did you know about your family's 
political beliefs growing up? My family was very political, but but not involved directly in politics. My father was a known Republican, and uh, because Abraham Lincoln freed slaves, Mm -hmm. and my mother was a really advocate Democrat because Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, put a chicken in every pot. Okay. But and on election day, I would always remember that they would go out in different cars to get people to come to the polls and vote. And being a very large family, we were always involved in stimulating conversations, you know, about politics and what was happening in the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, what schools did you attend growing up? I went to elementary school and high school, Elkhorn High School. Then I went to West Virginia State College. And then I got my master's at IU Indianapolis. Okay. And um, let's see, what was your master's at IU? Yes, in education. In education, okay, got it. Uh, Were you involved in any extracurricular activities in college? Um, the Honor Society, and uh, I played a little band, but not, I wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> At least I knew that. <laughs> and that's about it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, what were your goals after you graduated from IU? Well, actually, I was just going to be the best educator that I could be. I saw a need for quality teachers, and that's what I wanted to be. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and how was your college experience overall at Indiana University? Well, actually, I was a full-grown adult at the time, a mother and all that, so it was from home. So oh, okay. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Um, did your awareness of politics change at all when you were studying for your master's degree or your bachelor's degree? Well, actually, I don't think it actually changed. It just influenced me that things needed to be done and that you couldn't wait on somebody else to do them, that you had to do them. Right. Um, could you describe your employment history after you got your master's? Uh, I was employed as a teacher for Indianapolis Public Schools. I taught at School 110, and uh, it really opened my eyes in terms of the advocacy of teachers in general. They were very laid back and not really involved in their own day-to-day activities. It was more or less in the hands of the principals. So for that reason, I actually got involved in the Teachers Association and became president of the Indianapolis Education Association and ended up being vice president of the ISTA because I saw such a need. And it was this time that I became friends with Julia Carson, who at the time was a state representative, and I became her uh, liaison for education. Right. Okay. 
Um, now, you mentioned that you got married and you had kids. When did you get married? I am married in 1957. Okay. And I have one daughter, Jean, who was born in 1958. Okay. And that's it. Okay. Let's see. Now, when did you decide to first get more seriously involved in politics? It was after I became a teacher and became involved in the Teachers Association, I realized that so many of the things that happened to us in the classroom were determined by legislators who were not necessarily knowledgeable about education. So uh, I became more actively involved. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so is that why then you would eventually decide to run for the state government? Yes. Okay. I found myself lobbying down at the state capitol, and as a result, ended up running for office. Okay, cool. Um, did you have a particular campaign strategy when you were running? Actually, uh, probably not. It was just more mouth-to-mouth and door-to-door. And I found out in my career that just being honest and saying exactly what you think pays off. I always say, I can't afford to lie because I can't remember what I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I didn't want to be contradicting myself. So I guess my advice to anyone is to, like, Shakespeare, to thine own self be true. Right, yeah. Um, do you remember who your main opponent was that first election you ran in? Yes, I do. And we're now friends today. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Eunice Trotter, who at the time was, uh, I think, the owner of the Indianapolis Recorder. Okay. And uh, I was not well known at all because I was considered an outsider because I was not born in Indiana even at that time. Yeah. Indianapolis people are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, I was the underdog, but I, in fact, we had to have a recount after the primary. And it was not necessarily pretty, but it was a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, see, what did you think of the election process overall? Well, I guess it was so new to me, and I was just excited to be out there and to be involved. So I enjoyed it. I had run for office once before, and it was when we had the three-person districts, and I ran for the House of Representatives against Bannon and a few others. I can't remember their names, and of course I did not win. Mm, But the thing I will always remember is that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the tech. speaking, I enjoyed meeting the people, and so it was an exciting time for me. Yeah, of course, that definitely makes sense. Um, Now, uh, what was your reaction when you won your your first election to be in the Indiana General Assembly? Well, I I remember speaking once and saying that it was a God's dream, not my, it was his choice, because I did not have a dream of being a state legislator 
I didn't grow up trying to be a state senator or a state representative. I didn't know what it was, really. So it was just a path that had been set for me, and yeah. I followed it. Yeah. Now, did you change your uh, campaign strategies at all for future elections? No, not really, because of what I found about how the legislature, it's... Uh, set up and districts like in mine you can be there permanently if you do the right thing <laughs> or people think you're doing the right thing yeah sure so it was just a matter of maintaining my reputation and being true to what i thought the people wanted in my district and making sure that i went to, to district meetings and had town halls and that sort of thing yeah okay um, what were you thinking when you walked into the state house for your first day in office? I could not. I didn't think I ever landed to get around in it. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many little steps and cubby holes and whatnot. I thought I'd be lost forever. <laughs> <laughs> I was also very shocked by the how small the a space is rare for the legislators. Ah, okay, sure. But I thought it was an absolutely beautiful, magnificent building. I loved the carpeting. I loved the phone booths made of oak and the chandeliers and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, what were your expectations for the legislative process, and was it uh, more or less complicated than you expected? It was much more complicated than I expected and much, much harder. It's very difficult to make decisions when you're dependent on 49 other people. Yeah. And so I found that the, I was very fortunate as I look back because when I entered the state senate, it was 26-24, which was a workable combination that you had to work on both sides. And, of course, the Democrat numbers got lower and lower and lower. But one of the things that I always said was I thought that they sent was a captive audience. In other words, if they didn't want to hear what I had to say, they had to hear it anyway. Yeah. And being a teacher, I demanded their attention because if they started talking, I'd stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they soon found that out. <laughs> so they were forced to listen whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> yeah, so I guess being a teacher gave you a good ability to command a room then. Yes, but the other thing that always I could not, took me forever, and I don't think I ever got used to, was the legislators are never on time. Oh, yeah. Coming from a background of teaching, you had... Certain times you had to be in the classroom, you had to be there, you couldn't yep. be late, you know? Yeah. So I would try to be late, and I could never even, even when I tried, I was early. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was difficult for me. Yeah, so you were you were responsible, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's good. Um, so how did you learn the ins and outs of state politics? Was it just by... Going through the process, or did you have any mentors at all? Mostly just going through the process itself, okay? Yeah. And recognizing 
what you wanted to accomplish and that, you know, you couldn't just uh, not say something because the majority of the people did not disagree, mm-hmm. would not agree with you, that you had to speak up. And, and I found that uh, oftentimes when you speak up, even though they're not going to vote for you, they respected it and they appreciated it. Sure. How did you learn the needs and wants of your constituents? Basically through uh, churches and just going to radio programs and uh, just going to meetings for the most part. We would have uh, town hall meetings and uh, concerned clergy and meetings like that, yes. And we'll also send out a survey, of course, every year. Do you remember the very first bill that you ever sponsored or authored? I vaguely remember sponsoring a bill that would uh, allow for people who lived in neighborhoods to be free of taxes for some side. I don't know exactly what it was. It never it passed, but I don't think it ever made any real difference. Okay. <laughs> um, but both were mostly my concerns is uh, legislative education and health. And one of the things that always frustrated me was that as a legislator, if you were a veterinarian or if you were in real estate, they're always expected and came to you for your input. But everybody thought that it could be an educator. And everybody had their own ideas and did not rely on the people who did it to get the work done. And that, to me, was always frustrating. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how complex was the process to getting a bill passed? Well, it's it's been that way for years, and it's still the same way. You first have to get the bill uh, written, then it has to go through uh, the committee, then after it goes through the committee, then it gets to the floor, and it has to pass four or three times, more or less, and then it goes over to the other side. So it's difficult to get one through, so you just have to to maintain relations on both sides of the aisle and in both houses. Yeah. So did you work uh, with Republicans a lot when you served? Yes, I did. And I enjoyed it. Of course, I was there during the time when Luke Kenley and I can't remember the guy who was head of the budget. He was a doctor. I can't remember his name right now. It was so important. He couldn't speak. You couldn't hear what he said. (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, it was okay. (laughs) So, yes, I learned how to work on both sides of the house quite well. And do you think that was a a skill that a lot of legislators developed? Or do you think that there should have been more people that were, uh, you know, prioritizing being able to work across the aisle? Well, I think at that time that it was more or less accepted that you could work with them. Okay. Since that time, there's a bigger division, and things have been so divided that you don't. 
But I think during the time that I was there, more or less, it was more uh, agreeable. Okay. So do you think that then uh, the Indiana General Assembly has become more politically polarized since you served? Yes. Okay. And it has a lot to do with uh, where the districts are drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, you put everybody of one kind, like in my district is all considered a safe district. And that's what they've done for all the districts, except that they've made them the majority Republican rather than Democrat. Okay. And did you start to see this change uh, sort of later on when you served, or did it happen after you left? No, I did, you could see the change happening while I was there. Okay. Yeah. But again, you know, it wasn't as overt as it is today, I don't think. Right, right. Um, what were the differences between the House and Senate? I think the Senate tended to be a little bit more deliberate and on subject matter than the House. And they, the House seemed to have more fun on doing what they were doing in the Senate. And we seemed more intense and caught up <laughs> than the House. But basically, you know, they're equally as important. You can't do one without the other. Yeah. And, did did you ever feel like there was kind of a little rivalry between the House and Senate? Mm, no, not necessarily. Okay. I think they were pretty well together. Okay. I know in the past I've talked to people that kind of said like, oh, you know, senators are like this, or senators are like, oh, the House is like this. You know, <laughs> so, no, okay. I didn't, I didn't feel that That's way. good. That's good. Um how influential was party leadership when it came to passing legislation? It was critically important. If you didn't have the speaker of the, the Senate and the majority leader, it was difficult to get anything passed. But it was also important to have good leaders on both sides of the aisle. And you had good thinking leaders who were able to stick to such a matter and know what it was that they were, what the end goal was. It became much more tenable. And I think while I was there, we were able to do that more than you can today. Yeah. Did you ever go against party leadership? I'm sure I did. (laughs) (laughs) How'd that go? Well, again, you know, I've always been the kind of person who felt like that if I was going to go against you, you would know why I was going against you. And if I could not explain why I was going against it, then I shouldn't be against it. Okay. (laughs) So when I was against something, they knew why I was and they knew it wasn't going to change. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Um, how influential would you say lobbyists were in the Indiana General Assembly? Extremely. Uh, but one of the things, again, that I always said was that if you kept be truthful, 
if you mislead me one time, that's it. But if you stick with the facts, I always wanted to hear both sides of it. And so if a lot of these were kind of tell me what he was, I said, all right, now tell me what that side of this is. And then, so I was, again, able to work with libraries. And I, I still believe that they have a critical role to play because we are a citizenry uh, legislature, which means that we don't have the same amount of time that you need to read and know all the facts on each of those bills. So you have to rely on the experts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you also just need to be able to question them. Right. So how did you know if a lobbyist was trustworthy or not? Just dealing with them on a day-to-day basis. You find out who you could trust and who you couldn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you think campaign donations or gifts had much influence on politicians during your time in the General Assembly? I guess yes, because that's inevitably what happened with redistricting. You know, it was because they got more money and they were able to divide Senate in the way they wanted it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and yeah, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. How would you, uh, let's see, what would you change about the legislative process based on your experiences? I would first have outsiders draw the lines for the legislative districts. Mm-hmm. I think it is outrageous that uh, the majority of the people, regardless of what your thought process is, what your beliefs are, are still governed by one group. And I know that so many people who do not agree with what's going on, but their ideas are ignored simply because of the district lines drawn and the people there are going to vote their straight party ticket. Yeah. So that would be one of the changes that I would make. And I guess basically that's it. Okay, sure. What would you say was the most controversial legislative issues during your time in the assembly? They always came down to abortion and education. Okay. And that hasn't changed. They those are still the same issues seem to be the stickiest. Yeah. Are are the arguments the same as they were before today? I believe they've gotten a little bit more extreme. Okay. I think that, you know, uh, they weren't as uh, bitter before. And uh, I'll give uh, the health education chairperson some credit. Uh, Pat Miller was chairperson of the health committee when I was there. And for the most part, we truly disagreed on everything. Yeah. But we respected. She always set out what she, what the uh, bills were going to be here, and what you had to do, so you knew how to work with her. Yeah, and that makes a difference. And I don't know how it is today. Okay. Um. But the chairperson is so important because she, she or he determines which bills will even get to be heard. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people don't actually, especially in the general public, have no idea how important a chair is. Right. Yeah, they dictate a lot of the agenda. (laughs) And that's why this uh, disparity in terms of Republicans and Democrats is so important, because Democrats will never be able to chair Mm -hmm. a committee. And right now, they don't have enough numbers to even challenge. Right. Which is... Critically uh, ridiculous. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely uh, kind of a, a winner takes all type of formula. But for... the other part of that, though, is that uh, being on the floor and passing laws is just one aspect of being a senator. Right. The other aspect of being a legislator is being able to meet with your constituents and know their specific needs. And be able to help them out on an individual basis to give them advice and education and then direct them. I found that most rewarding. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, what would you say was the most complex piece of legislation that you worked on? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> A few years, yeah. I ain't about 40. <laughs> Close enough, that's right. <laughs> I can't remember a bill off the bat. Okay. But uh, again, I I just remember that I had uh, the most difficult bills have been here. Bob Hillman was our chairperson. And he was an extremely bright attorney. And uh, we were able to really know what the issues were and to draw the line and come up with strategies to uh, present our side. Okay, yeah. Um, Let's see, thinking of like some more specific questions um, based on some of the newspaper articles I came across uh, during (laughs) your service, uh, what do you remember about the legislation regarding uh, making Martin Luther King a state holiday? It's like all of the legis- but there were both sides, and it was difficult to get the majority to understand why this was important. But eventually, it, you know, it passed. Yeah, and this was your bill, correct? No. Or okay. I believe that happened a little bit before I got there. Oh, okay. I had to. I was responsible for getting. Uh, um, Martin Luther King Day celebration for teachers. Ah, okay, that's it. Um, yeah. But, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was that difficult at all, or? It was. It went re- relatively smoothly, considering how things are done. Yeah. But again, um, Ben, I found that if you are going to do something, if you get your facts together, okay. Mm-hmm. and are able to present them, you will have nine times out of ten succeed. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you remember the debates uh, regarding charter schools when you served? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, oh, yes. So what... And I was a lone person for the most part. Yeah. I tried against charters. Right. So what were... The debate specifically, what was happening from your perspective? From my perspective, 
it's like most things. If you let somebody get a toe in the door, that's only the beginning. It gets worse and worse and worse. And that's what we were doing in the legislature. To me, one saving grace for America has been public education. Mm-hmm. And when you start to divide public education and then all these other things, then it gets smaller and less important. And that's what we see today. We have so many charter schools and vouchers and whatnot that you are limited and belittling the public school concept. Okay. And I think that's to make for a less educated society mm-hmm. than we should have. Okay. So essentially then, I guess what you're saying is like it, having all these charter schools um, basically kind of diminishes the diminishes the whole public school system because all the resources from the state are being spread out too thin. Spread out too thin, and then uh, caliber of teachers mm-hmm. and the rules and regulations for charter schools and public schools are different. And though they all have the concept that they are supposed to be better in the sense that they're going to meet the needs of the student, I have not found that to be so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. Another piece of legislation that I I saw that was going on uh, when you served was um, it looked like regarding elections, you had uh, proposed an amendment to extend voting hours. Do you remember that? That I opposed extending them? You, you uh, pr- proposed. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think that voting should be made easier for mm-hmm. people and not more difficult. Right. And that's one of the things, again, that's made America great. Yeah. Is that we've been able to go to the polls for or again and then accept that decision once it's made. Right. And more hours, and they made some concessions in terms of you know, some businesses when I let their uh, employees off to vote early, but that should not be necessary. We should have more mail-in voting. We should have more voting concise. And all of that is improving, but it still hasn't improved to what it needs to be. We should have Saturday voting. We should make it easy. Right. So what was the opposition then to extending voting hours? The usual that too much... Uh, Things can happen, cheating and that sort of thing, and it didn't make sense then. It doesn't make sense now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Let's see. Um, so, why did you eventually decide to leave the General Assembly? Well, at the time, we were, we had noble minority represented in countywide offices. Mm-hmm. And uh, they asked if I would be interested in running, and uh, I said that's why I ran. Okay. 
And plus things were getting beginning to change in the state legislature too. Yeah. Politically speaking. And uh, fortunate for me, it was, I became the first African-American female to win countywide yeah. in an office. And I enjoyed very much being your own boss and being able to make a decision and not have to wait on 48 other people to decide. Right. <laughs> so I thought that was a good niche for me. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So how would you summarize your time overall then as a state legislator? That's a good question. I think it was an exceptionally uh, opportunity to serve and get people to know who I was and to hopefully make a change for the better for those who voted me in. Uh, I think the rapport in the legislature cannot be beat. I think the friends you make there, you make them on both sides. And you you relate for years, and as I still do. So that part is always good. I still think you learn uh, negotiation skills, which are quite needed, even in everyday experiences, you know. So all in all, I would say my experience was very good at the legislature. Yeah, okay. And I think, as I recall, your your daughter serves in the General Assembly today? Yeah, my daughter succeeded me. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, Ben, it's the first time a daughter has directly succeeded her mother in the state legislature. We're used to uh, daughters and even sons following the father right. and never the mother. Yeah, that's that's super cool. Um, so it's like a family tradition now, I guess. <laughs> and I guess the important thing about it is that she enjoys it. Yeah, that's true. And she works very, very, very hard. I keep telling people, you can open the door, but once that door is open, it's up to you to make something out of it. Yeah. And for her, I think it's just been an absolutely beautiful experience. She's outspoken. She stands up for what she believes. And people respect that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, let's see, do you have any favorite stories from your time as a legislator? Mm, but, uh, no, I just remember that a colleague and I used to enjoy sitting back mocking Governor Kernan when he was at, at the podium. So she was such a genial person. <laughs> So that's it. Just fun things like that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, what lessons did you learn from your experiences? I think it teaches you to listen to the smallest detail. Often things can change with just one little sentence. And you're able to pick that sentence out and point it out that this needs to be changed and what a difference it makes. And the difference between uh, may cause and a bill. You don't want that. Right. So things like that. Yeah, okay. Um, what was your proudest moment as a legislator? 
Again, I couldn't tell you. I I don't remember it. I guess it was just been sworn in. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a cool moment. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? First of all, go in with the right attitude. Uh, you are to serve and not be served. And know what it is that do you want to accomplish. Have some guidelines and some goals for yourself and stick to them. And, of course, last is always be true to who you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? It should be to make sure that every child gets a quality education and that we do what we can to ease the health cares of all of our citizens here in Indiana and to make a level playing ground for everybody. I know we're never going to be the same on all issues, but everybody ought to have the same opportunity to achieve and reach their goals. Right. And, and above all, I guess it just points out to me how critically important education and health are to our society. And I think those are probably two issues should still need the most work in our state legislature. Yeah, okay. What would you say the public does not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? I think for the most part, our public does not know anything about how our state legislature works. Those who are committed to uh, knowing know, but John Q and the public does not know. Except that, then again, I sometimes think we underrate our constituency as to what they know. I can remember on many occasions I would uh, be somebody, and they had seen him on TV or on the local channels, and they were much more aware of what was going on than I ever thought they were. Oh, okay. So it's a a two-way street. (laughs) Yeah, just depends, I guess. Yes. Uh, how has the state of Indiana changed since you first moved to Indiana? It's gotten much, 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 much more conservative. Okay. At least, if it hasn't gotten more conservative, those representatives have represented us as more conservative. Right, yeah. And I think that's more the truth than the other. Yeah, it seems like yeah, a lot of people have the same view on that. Yeah. Um, how do you think the Indiana General Assembly has changed? I suppose the same way? Yes. Yep. Um, I mean, my experience has been that there's organizations within the organizations like ALEC, which is what I will say, that meet and they form legislation as models and whatnot, and then they just pass it down to all the legislatures. Mm-hmm. So there's a, 
gun law that they think needs to be passed, then every state passes it, whether right or wrong. Yeah. And I'd like to see that changed. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem interesting. Uh, I think as uh, some other legislators have kind of picked up on similar things where, uh, because I guess politics seems to be much more national where issues are not just specific state issues, but issues across the country that affect the states, all the same kind of, uh, where like states kind of copy legislation off off each other all the time now, it seems. Right. Yes, that was another issue that oftentimes would come up about state rights, and I remember being on a, uh, on a panel discussion, and I was against states' rights then simply because of what we see happening today. Mm-hmm. All of the state legislators are all to the letter for abortion or against crime, uh, and they don't really, to me, take in all of the issues and discuss them thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Seems like it's uh, yeah, a unique time in political history right now. Absolutely. And it's only get, going to get more interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sometimes I have to turn the TV off. I can't take it more. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. I think a lot of people are kind of in that position right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. But Ben, how did you get this, this project? Um, through legislation? Yeah, so I... Uh, I got this position a few years ago in 2019. I actually moved from the state of Kansas uh, for this job. And, yeah. and um, yeah, so it's just a project that was created by the Indiana General Assembly to uh, conduct the oral history of the General Assembly based on the experiences of former members. And so I just interview pretty much anyone that I can find that is a former member of the General Assembly <laughs> and... Uh, done about 70 interviews at this point so oh great and what will you do with these interviews yeah so they're made open to the public um so anyone who's like doing research or anyone who wants to use this in their schools or just anyone who's interested in state politics can access these interviews and use them for whatever they want so oh sounds good very good yeah very good fantastic well let's see um I guess I might have maybe a couple more questions for you. Okay. Um, how do you think the people of Indiana have changed or have, or what hasn't changed about the people of Indiana? Mm, again, a very interesting question. Because it's, it's difficult to say because from where I sit, I think that the state has gotten more and more and more conservative. But I think of a time when we had a birch by and a hikey and a Luger in office who seemed to be what I call states people mm-hmm. to people who are now have been elected to office who seem to just not relate to what I think. Yeah. At all. Yeah. And that's never been the case before. So I think it's getting much more one sided. Sure. Than it's ever been. Okay. Um, 
What do you want the people of Indiana to know about their influence on the General Assembly? That they have a bigger influence than they will ever know. That legislators do respond to advocacy and uh, phone calls and letters and emails and that if you're really concerned about an issue, you need to make sure that you get those who think like you to come down and confront. Now, that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is that I've watched uh, Red Day and state legislators promoting high, better education policies, and nothing's happened. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, well, that's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything that I didn't ask about that you wanted to mention at all? Well, no, I guess I, I would just say that I would hope that somehow both sides, those who are conservative and those who are not so conservative, realize that this is one world. Mm-hmm. And that we all have to live in this world together. And we ought to be working to make sure that our programs and our policies help each other and not make it more difficult. That makes sense in side field. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, you'd think that would be the goal for everyone. Um, yes. Since, yeah, we're kind of all this together, whether we like it or not, so... <laughs> And that you have an opportunity as a state legislator to do something about it and to bring more conciliatory, you know, programs and things to life. Definitely. And we need to take advantage of that. Yeah. And I think we need more women involved, too, in the political process. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. We tend to look at things from a different uh, viewpoint. Right. And that's understandable. For the most part, men have not had to raise children, have not had to do the day-to-day things to keep a house running. So they don't know how to do it. Yeah. All they know is how to make money, and that money is the most important thing, when it really isn't. Yeah. Yeah, you would think that things would be better off if, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. General Assembly has represented the demographic breakdowns of society, right. so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that includes more minorities, too. Yep, sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, okay. Billy, thank you so much for uh, taking part of this project. This was a lot of fun. Ben, thank you. I've enjoyed it.